Knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. This is Hour 3 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're the underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side... Big Dog Sports Talk Power Hour. Mean pinball back in the day. Am I just weird that I still prefer uh, prefer a really good pinball machine to a uh, video game? That made me weird. <laughs> Maybe so. Six three nine forty nine hundred. Text line seven four four twenty nine ninety. Good stuff from Andy Bitter. Last hour. A little bit later on, this hour, Dwight Vick will join us on the program. I do. I do, Wayne. I love pinball. Huge, huge pinball guy. It was just always more challenging to me. The reflexes, I don't know. Just Maybe I was taken by the bright lights and the sounds and the... The bumpers and everything else. I mean, I, I like video video games, but I'm still the pinball book guy. And my dream one day is to have enough money to be able to walk up to some dealer and go, yes, I would really like that uh, refurbished, or maybe it's a vintage, 8-ball deluxe pinball machine. Have it delivered to my house in my, in my sports room. And I could just play eight ball deluxe whenever I wanted to. <laughs> now people are sending in <laughs> pinball games they like. Steve says, do you remember the Indiana Jones pinball? Yeah, I do. I do remember that one. That was a good one too. 
You know, the other one I really liked was the Harlem Globetrotters pinball machine. That was one of my favorites. That was a good one, too. That was a good game. That thing had a good feel to it. You could really get some good uh, good rallies going in the old Harlem Globetrotters pinball machine game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Loved it. I don't know. It's just to be pinballed. It just it had to be laid out. It's like a an architectural design, right? To make sure it all works and creates all these different elements that you're trying to to hit during the the ball and so forth. It feels like you're doing an active sport, right? A little bit, maybe. You know what I'm saying? You're you're trying to accomplish something. Hand to eye reflexes. Like you're trying to hit a baseball. I mean, video games, you're either pushing a button, moving a lever. Maybe there's one of the uh, gunnery games that you're firing on the side and so forth. I think, I'm pretty sure Neil's all-time video game was uh, Spy Spy Hunter. Is that right? Now, see, I might, I might have that wrong. Pretty sure it was Spy Hunter. I think that's right. Oh, okay. So there's a uh, a Roanoke machine. There's a pinball. Now, can you play these games? They got a pretty good list here. Whoa, they have 8-Ball Deluxe. 1981? Really? Are these playable, Wayne? Can you go down and play these, or are they just there, like, under glass? Doctor Who pinball machine from 92. Galaxy from 1980. I'm trying to see how many of these I remember. Wow, they have an 8-Ball Deluxe. Bow and Arrow, no. Captain Fantastic, yeah, I remember that. That's the Elton John one, right? It's awesome. Oh, my, I forgot. One of our listeners, and it's on the list, too. Tom says, remember the Kiss pinball machine? I do. Kiss pinball was great. Oh, there's some good ones on here. There's the Indiana Jones. Ghostbusters. That's later. Gilligan's Island from 91. I don't remember that one. Do you remember the Kiss pinball machine? That one was that one was huge. That's pretty cool. So are these games playable? I've never been down there. I mean, can you go in? Do you have to put quarters in? They just have them so you can play. I mean, I, <laughs> do I have to do like the old days and load up and take like a, a Ziploc bag full of quarters down there or what? What are we what are we doing? That's pretty cool to know, though. I think I've heard about the place, but I've never actually been down there. So I'd like to go do that. 1350 to play all day. Can you play all day for that? Daily rates? I guess so. So for 13 bucks, I can go down and just unlimited play? Okay. That might be worth it. Take some food and beverages and just make a day of it. Where are you going? I'm going down to play some pinball. Oh, when are you coming back? Uh, I don't know. Seven, eight o'clock tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, you're making it an all-day thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go play some pinball. Is that okay? Can I do that? College hoops last night. 
not so good for Radford. My broadcast partner at home games, Cole Wilder, said, hey, I fell asleep at halftime. Radford's up 15, and then, uh, then the second half happened. High point outscores Radford by 20, and the Highlanders have lost three in a row, four or five. Not trending in the direction you want, finishing up the regular season on Saturday, heading into the tournament next week. We know we will play on Friday, a week from tomorrow. Just don't know the time as of yet. It looks like it'll either be 2 o'clock or 8 o'clock next Friday. But a lot to be determined. Tonight is the national game, and it should be a good one. It's going to be a Longwood down in Boiling Springs at Gardner-Webb. If you so desire. Virginia loses big time on the road. BC shut them down. 63-48 was the final score. So, again, I've been touting that Miami's the best team in the conference, in the ACC, and there's more evidence right there. I just think what you saw from Virginia last night is more apt to happen at some point during a big moment in the postseason as opposed to Miami's offense going into a slump. Virginia's defense rarely slumps. As a matter of fact, it was Tech's offense that's had one of the best days against Tony Bennett's club all year when they lost at the Castle. But Miami, they're just on a little different tier right now. Now, clearly that can all change. One injury changes it all. I mean, Radford's still playing without Brian Antoine. He won't play again to the tournament which is the right call, but made a big difference. You can go as far as to say that if Brian Antoine is dressed out last night, Radford probably doesn't lose that lead. He's such a good defender on top of everything else. But you don't have that option to, to bring him in. And you can have injuries. If, if Miami loses one of its guards, if they lose Wong or Pack, someone like that, then all of a sudden, you know, their fortunes change. That's why it's a day-by-day proposition, and you don't assume anything. And, you know, Shane Nichols told us after the game last night he felt like Radford's players assumed because they had a 15-point lead they could just roll the ball out there and they're going to be fine. And they learned a valuable lesson last night, right? And that's a huge concern because it shouldn't be happening – in game number 30, that your team still felt as if it had done enough to win after just 20 minutes. Maybe that'll be a lesson valuable that they can take into the tournament with them next weekend. I don't know. This team's trying to figure things out. The last 48-plus hours has been very difficult for them. I was very proud of the way they came out, the fight they had. I know Shane Nichols was – berating himself after the game, said, I can't let that happen. I didn't do a good job, but he did a really good job. That team was ready to play. They came out. They took it to high point in the first half. I mean, I was very proud of those young men for the way they handled their business. And, you know, I sit there and I peruse the box score after the game, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, you know what? High point just adjusted and started to play the way they did when they came up to Radford in the first half. They just decided to – drive to the basket 
every possession, grab a defensive rebound, start speeding down the floor, making Radford always have to be mindful of its transition defense and you can't guard everybody because you're trying to get back. You're either backpedaling or you're turning in a full sprint. And either they beat you down the floor, they either get a layup, they got fouled, or they were able to kick it out to a shooter, and that's where the likes of Zach Austin just absolutely buries you. And that's what they did, and that's when high point is at their best. And really, sometimes we always want to look for blame and want to – it's what Andy Bitter just talked about, right? You got to just – you got to blame somebody. Oh, my goodness, why is Virginia Tech losing its quarterback coach? It must have been – no, just maybe he decided that uh, this is a good opportunity and he appreciates everything about Brent Price program. We don't know. But last night, it was more of what High Point did to win the game. And we don't like to admit that as sports fans very often, do we? It's always our team that messed up. No. High Point outscored Radford by 20 in the second half because they adjusted. And they started doing things that um, are truer to their personality. That's why they're a threat, in my opinion, to win the Big South Tournament next weekend. You get Zach Austin in. They have the third leading scorer in the league, Jaden House, who didn't have a great night last night. You get them going, and they're running. It's a dangerous basketball team, as Radford found out in the second half. Senior day on Saturday. Going to be a, a bit somber in a lot of ways, but um, we hope people come out and uh, take in the final home game of the regular season. And for Virginia, we'll see what kind of a lesson they learn, right? Sometimes losses late in the season aren't as bad as they appear to be, depending on your situation. Virginia knows it's in the NCAA tournament, so and they know they're going to be a top three seed likely somewhere. Three or four seed at the very least a four seed, but probably a three if not a two, more than likely a three. And certain programs can't afford losses because you're trying to stay on the bubble, whatever it might be. Tech now knows, right, as if they didn't know before after the Miami game that they have to win the tournament. That's the only way they're getting in the NCAA tournament. None of the metrics are in Tech's favor now. They were so metric-friendly for a while, but the net and Ken Palm showing now that uh, this is who Tech is. And a lot of people are playing the what-if game. Boy, if Tech would have just beaten this team or that team. And I'm like, that's – no, no, that's not what you do. They didn't. They didn't win those games. And you know why? Because that's part of their personality. That's part of their DNA as well. Well, if they'd have beaten these three or four teams, then look what their record would be. Yeah, <laughs> that's math. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can say that about any team. In any variety. Yeah, if they'd have just beaten so-and-so, this is what they would look like in the standings. Yeah, that's that's correct. If my Denver Broncos didn't suck under Nathaniel, Haff- Haff- uh, Nathaniel Hackett, go 5-12, and 12, they'd have won four or five more games. They'd have been a playoff team. Yeah. It's great to play pretend standings. But what you got to understand is, no matter how well you might be playing at a certain juncture of the basketball season, games you lost are also part of your DNA. It's part of your personality. It helps complete the picture of who you really are. And sometimes, appearances can be very deceiving. And we've seen that. That's been the one consistent thing about this tech team. 
No, they don't win enough. They don't shoot it well enough most nights. They don't defend well enough as well. But sometimes they put it all together, then they're an ACC caliber winning team. And then sometimes they look like they did when they traveled to Georgia Tech or played BC in Blacksburg. And all of those things make up who you are, which is why Virginia Tech shows itself getting ready for the ACC tournament or bus mode for the second straight year. And you can talk about this game or that game, but once you get up to being, you know what, four or five games they would have won. Yeah, that's a lot, though. One, one or two that decides your season one way or the other, it's a little different. You can lament those, but Tech's lost a lot of games that are head scratchers. But again, maybe they're not because that's who they are. More coming up. Stay You're not off the leash yet. We're happy to have you with us and hope you'll come back often. Big Dog Sports Talk will be right back. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on WRAD. they're talking about getting almost every night. Hmm. I don't know. Everybody here is out of sight. They don't bark and they don't bite. They keep things loose. They keep things I don't know. I guess they're talking about, you know, just good vibes or food. (laughs) Dwight Vick in about eight minutes. Hope you're okay wherever you might be. Stan writes in, thank you for saying that about not playing the what-if game about wins or losses. I get so tired of hearing that as a fan. Yeah, I mean, Jack hadn't lost. Six games, seven games in a row in the football season, they had a pretty good year. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. I mean, when, you, when you're a certain identity as a team, you work through it and you're trying to – and that's what I think Brent probably did so well last year, understanding where he was as a team. He knew what he had as a team. He knew. He knew. Um, so – and this year, that's why there's optimism. They, they've done a lot of steps. But you're not going to know until you get it all out there. And that's going to be interesting. The spring is huge, I think. I think year two spring like that when you're walking into that situation is bigger than year one, other than maybe the culture, the roots of the culture you're planting in year one. But now you're building on them, and you're going to feel like you can more, which is why the hunger drills are so vital to what Coach probably wants to do. Tina. Hey, Tina. How are you? Good morning. Rick, just answer me the question. Is Brent Pry the guy? Tina listening in Blacksburg? I really believe he is, Tina. I really do. 
I think his conviction, I think his attention to detail, I think self-awareness, I think it's all in place. He's just got to get better players, and his coaches have to improve, and I think they will. I really do. He loves the place. He's got all the right intentions. It's about program. It's about university over himself, unlike the previous head coach. So, yeah, absolutely. Dwight Vick joins us next as we roll along. Yes, on the text line. You can uh, join us there if you so desire, as many of you like to do when our next guest makes his appearance on the program. Crater of Victory Life, former all-conference performer at Virginia Tech on that offensive line. The authority on everything Hokies football. Dwight Vick. DV, good morning, my friend. How are you? Hey, good morning, man. How you doing, man? It's great to be back on. Well, it's good to have you back on, and uh, a lot going on. And I guess I just want to get right into it with the whole uh, departure of Brad Glenn. I talked about it a little bit with Andy Bitter, but in your mind, going through this, and you can give us that insight, especially at that position, obviously this wasn't planned for because uh, Coach Glenn was on the list to talk to the reporters next week. And now, of course, he's moving on. We understand why he moved on, so I'm not going to get into that part of it. But how crucial is this to all of a sudden have to implement a brand-new position coach this late headed into spring prep, or maybe spring prep's already been done on paper as you try to implement that at the quarterback spot? How big is this for Grant Wells and Kyle Drones and the rest of that room? I I have a different perspective, you know, uh, than a lot of the fans or some of the fans. I feel like... Um, it's a business, and it's a quarterback's coach versus the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. um, or O-line coach. And um, I think when your staff is stable, you can get another guy to come in and adjust to the culture and be part of it. So, for example, after my first four years, going into my f- uh, fifth year, my offensive line coach, J.B. Grimes, left, and he went on to coach in the SEC because he grew up in the South, coached at Arkansas, and he went back home. And he was very happy, and I was happy for him. And they promoted Steinspring from tight end coach to uh, offensive line coach and tight ends coach. Um, and actually uh, added Danny Pierman to tight ends coach, who won a national championship at Clemson as a player. And he also um, was uh, on their staff before coming to Tech. And Danny Pierman was a great addition, and us players loved him. He was a great storyteller, and Steinspring. Uh, was a very good offensive line coach. Coach myself, Derek Smith, Matt Lair, who went to the Dallas Cowboys, Gennaro DiNapoli, Ty Washington. He also, um, you know, coached Jay Grove, and he was also, as well documented, a masterful recruiter. 
So in a lot of ways, um, we didn't lose a beat. And I just think um, if this is all we have to talk about in regards to text or uh, staff, um, I'm not really concerned. And I will also say this, this is not a shot at this um, this departure, but um, in regards to quarterback play, um, I felt like the quarterback play was so inconsistent. I don't know if that's a huge loss, if I'm going to be blunt. <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, I don't think Grant Wells, it's not a shot at him. I just don't feel like, you know, we saw progression in the quarterback position. I didn't feel like the quarterback position was something where I'm like, okay, yeah, man, you know, I'm seeing, you know, these these throws and these reads, and I feel like he is growing at, at that position. It might be um, a situation where we get somebody in um, that, again, can you know improve the staff. I think you have to take on a mindset as a coach with Pry and his staff um, that you have to be with us and you may lose a few people along the way. And that's why, you know, you and I have talked about it and you had other guests on that cover Virginia Tech. And they, we remind the fans that you will never see an era like the Beamer, Bowden, and Coach K. Roy Williams there. I've said this many times where you have this staff and you mean even guys like Mike Gray or from Notre Dame are stepping down, a longtime coach. I just think it's just a different time now. Players are moving and coaches are moving. And I feel like, again, um, just have to get the right guy to come in. And, and truthfully, um, you know, as far as we head towards spring ball, um, the quarterback position is wide open. So it's not like you have this mainstay at quarterback and you have this mainstay position coach. Um, it is what it is, and we just have to keep plugging along. Um, I would be I would be more concerned or more on high alert status if it was uh, the offensive coordinator. Well, I think it's a great point, and I think uh, you know Andy said similar things to what you said, Dwight. How you know what this offense was 119th last year, so I'm not sure how big of a loss, a departure on that side of the ball is. He was a little more blunt, but I like what you're saying, too. I mean, at some point, this whole new era of the way coaches are moving, well, they've always kind of had the freedom to move, but now players are moving. This will, at some point, feel like the norm again, won't it? And the programs that are going to do well going forward are the ones that just kind of understand that that's going to be the case, and you don't take things like this personally. Yeah, and I think, too, you look at the standard in ACC, which is Clemson and has been for quite some time now, really since 2011. Um, Clemson eventually lost Venables and their offensive coordinator, and, you know, they also lost a um, transcendent quarterback, a generational talent in Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, you lost all of that within a few years of each other, and, you know, Clemson still won 10-plus games and still had a chance to go into the playoffs. Um, I think that's the culture, and that's that hot word you and I have been using now for the last three yeah. consecutive years. I don't really, to be honest with you, I saw the story break, and I was like, yeah, we're in the offseason because this is nothing to talk about. And I hate to minimize it, <laughs> but I just didn't, not to say I don't want to talk about it on your show. I know you know that. What I'm saying no, is no. I think fans, when you are losing and you're part of a losing culture, you look for something to hold on to to say, see, see, and it's not really a big deal. Um, I would be more concerned if J.C. Price left, Harrison Prelo, um, you know, like I said, um, Marv or, you know, DJ. Those guys are huge in recruiting, and they're also huge position coaches and personalities um, within the program. Um, 
it's tough when you lose a personality. You know, Bud Foster was a huge personality. You know, you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, Coach DJ, a.k.a. Coach Cheetah. He's a big personality on Twitter. He's a big-time recruiter. Um, you know, you look at Brent Pry. You know, he's so laid back and so chill, but he has such an engaging personality. Those are huge voids when you lose guys like that to whatever circumstance, tragedy, you know, lateral movements or just departures. Those kind of losses hurt. Um, this is a position where I really feel like there are a lot of great quarterback coaches um, waiting for an opportunity that want to be in Blacksburg for 19 years. There's some guys that want to be there that want to be there for several years because it's still a power five, historically great traditional program. And that's what you have to focus on. But movement is part of the game now. We're in a generation where um, you're going to lose people and sometimes unexpectedly. Um, and, you know, I just, I just, you know, again, just tell fans to cross their fingers, sit back, and be patient and watching this thing grow. It's a journey. It's a story being told right in front of our eyes, and there's going to be some some disappointments, and there's going to be some pleasant surprises. And then, who knows, we'll look back 10 years from now and say, oh, yeah, remember they lost this guy, but they brought this guy. What a big addition that was. So, you know, sometimes we try to fast-forward life and jump over stuff like we play checkers, and it's not really that way. It's not a game and it played in that way. It's more so chess. He is Dwight Vick joining us on the program. He created Victory Life. He's an all-conference performer for Virginia Tech. And uh, he cancels uh, human beings on a daily basis. He's helping folks. And one thing I want to ask you about that, Dwight, and how it played into you as a, a terrific athlete and what you've learned about sports going forward and maybe how you you know, handle your son as he's a rising uh, high school basketball star. The, I use the phrase a lot, self-awareness. And we had Coach Pryon on Friday. And you and I have talked about his constant self-awareness. I'm so impressed by – how he never, ever seems to forget where the program is, where it has to go, and what needs to be done. And you, you, what you do is so amazing on a daily basis, helping folks and talking people and, and canceling people. How much does that come up in your, I guess you could say, your day-to-day in your work, reminding people, and how important is that that you see from the people who can – you know, get out of a bad situation who may struggle because they don't have it, and then how that also parlays into maybe you when you got to Tech as a football player. Because I know immediately you said, look, I was self-aware enough to know that I needed a redshirt year, whereas most kids, maybe not today, have that mindset. I think it starts with your development. Um, you know, how much uh, trauma or lack thereof you were exposed to. Like, you know, my baseline, my executive functioning, the way I live my life – um, is all about stability and structure um, and, and preparing for life's curveball. But I learned that back in the 90s as I went through different situations. Um, I think the power of sports and being on a team and learning how to overcome adversity, learning how to position yourself to be mentally tough, I think that's the biggest thing I take pride in is the fact that I am human, and I lose at times, and I struggle, but I've learned through starting off 0-2 and 95 or battling for position or, you know, being pushed to my limits and beyond in the weight room and in conditioning and then Blacksburg, Radford, summer heats um, really made me take pride in being mentally tough. Um, I think mental toughness is one thing where I feel like 
I'm elite at. I feel like my mental toughness is something that evolved, given what I experienced growing up in the city of Hampton, Virginia, and Newport News, Virginia, then getting to Blacksburg and having, you know, to really push through. I mean, you're talking about when I look back on the fact that, um, you know, I got two degrees, um, and there were many times where um, a summer night in Blacksburg in July, I was in my apartment writing two research papers when I really wanted to be downtown partying, but I had to sacrifice. I think those those small victories you, you learn as a player, um, you know, when you get one hour of sleep and you got to get up and run stadium steps and then condition and then lift and you're sore and your back hurts. And at times, you you know, you... You, you you question yourself, but then you, you rely on your faith. You rely on your strength. You rely on whatever has been instilled in you, those values, those core values. And that's what Brent Pry has. That's what J.C. Price has. That's how you overcome adversity. People look at the great ones, and, the, and whether they're impact players or they're running a construction company or they're running a great radio show like you, and they see the results, but they don't see the grind. They don't see the journey. The, the, the mistakes made, the learning from the mistakes, the overcoming adversity, those are the things that empower you where years from now you can stand tall in the face of adversity. And that's what, that's what I believe Pride has. That's what I learned through my experiences in Southwest Virginia. Um, you know, I don't mean to preach on your show this morning, no, but at no. the same time, that is what I stand on. That is what it gives me the power to look back and say, wow, you did all that in 2021 or you know, again, in 2020, um, I stared in the face of COVID. And people don't realize this, but I worked during COVID. I saw people in person in their homes where people were dying. I was out and about. And um, in 2020, I did more in my life than at any point in my life because I was able to have the mental toughness and awareness I learned in 1994, 95, 96, 97, 98. That's why you plant those seeds. So when they fruit and they grow and they become fruitful, um, you 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 have a leg to stand on. You have two legs to stand on. So hopefully that makes sense to you and your listeners. <laughs> no, it really does. I think it's a terrific point. So basically, what what you have learned and and what you have studied and and with your education, the values, the core values, kind of ties directly into that self awareness, doesn't it? I mean, that's basically the way it sounds. Yeah, core values because. You can't, you can't be, you can't be what you want to be if you don't have core values. You know, you can't look. Everyone think Michael Vick, he was so amazing. You know, and the thing about it is, what happened along the way is he lost himself. Um, he lost his core values. Mm-hmm. He got caught up with people who he thought was his friends, or he's trying to please the wrong people. And he he lost everything, and then he recovered and became an iconic figure. Um, Now he understands the essence of no matter what, remaining true to himself and those core values. Um, You don't become a Frank Beamer without, you know, surviving a fire in your shed and being burned and having skin grafts and going through 30 surgeries in one summer. I mean, you think about that when you watch his documentary that I was a part of. The fact that that man went through that and almost died and rose above that and created an iconic program. The program that became iconic wasn't done um, that those years in 1987 to 2015. They were done when he was going through those surgeries that summer because he had to stand up and fight 
and become who he was meant to be through the adversity. And he had those core values. So, you know, going 0-2 was not going to scare him like being burnt to death would have, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. So the same thing, pride. Like, we're going to learn more about pride. I know a lot, but we're going to learn more about Brent pride because I think he has those same values. Um, I just think you do not stand tall the way he does when everybody is losing their mind. And he says, we're going to get this thing right. It's not just coach speak. Look at his face. Look at his eyes. The same thing J.C. has. And that's what you have in winners. You know, people think it's about just lifting weights and running and heels. That's part of the process. But as far as, you know, executing and following through and being aware and knowing who you are, that starts years in advance. Well, it's exactly right. And what's the old saying, Dwight? The eyes are the mirror of your soul, right? And you're right. When you look at Coach Pry and you watch him speak, or you can just hear the conviction in his voice, you know it's not just something that he's saying. He believes it. He lives it. And that's exactly the way he expresses himself. And that's why, you know, I had somebody a little while ago, Dwight, uh, Tina listing in Blacksburg, say, hey, Rick, just tell me yes or no. Is Brent Pry the guy for Tech? And I just said, without hesitation, yeah. I really believe that he is because of all those things that you're talking about. He seems to have it all. And, and, and like you said, that's a great – what you said, too, I hope people heard when everybody's going crazy because the losses are coming and where the program's been, he hasn't. He's just said, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here, right? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here because it's not good. I'm here to get us back to where it was. So, yeah, that, that's important, I think, to remember. Yeah, it is, man, and and I love the guy, and, you know, Tina, I get it. I would be anxious, too, would be concerned because, you know, we just want a great program the same way. I know there's some murmuring going around Mike Young, but I feel he's cut from that same claw. I just think this is part of the journey. This is part of, you know, understanding who he is and what the program can be. We just have to sit back and, and watch it and let it play out, and that's hard. That's hard today in 2023 when everything is so fast-forwarded. But yes, it is. um if we're wrong about him, it is what it is. But I don't feel like we are because, you know, it's one of those things where certain people get you to a point and then you build on that point. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at back at Fuente, there were some things he did that we will benefit from years from now, meaning what not to do, what not to invest in, mm-hmm. how not to run a program. Um, and I think hopefully I pray that Fuente learned from his experiences I hope he learns as he, if God gives him another chance of being a head coach or coaching. I hope he learns from what he did wrong in Blacksburg. And he also made us realize that we had to improve our facilities. So even in pain and in truth, there's a lesson learned. Well, it's a great reminder to everybody, whatever you might be dealing with. Great stuff as always, Dwight. My goodness, I could talk to you for two more hours on this, man. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time as always this morning. Thank you for the opportunity once again, and shout-out to all your listeners. I appreciate y'all. All right, man. Have a great weekend. We appreciate you, man. Talk next week. You too. All right, yes, there you go. That's uh, Dwight Vick. Man, that's good stuff right there, and that goes beyond just sports. I mean, and that's how Dwight lives his life. You talk about conviction, I mean, right there you hear it, and that's why he's able to help so many people, and maybe that conversation helps you a little bit this morning. It helps me. I know that. All right, we're back to put another bow on another edition of BDST when we return.
take the big dog for a walk. Oh, just the people I'd want walking around all licked up. Listen to Big Dog Sports Talk anywhere with the TuneIn app. More BDSD next on WRAD. The bell tolls for thee. We are done for another day. Great stuff. Thanks for all the great interaction today. It helped. I needed you. Thank you, peeps, as always. I hope you have a good day. It's going to be 70 degrees. Enjoy it. Thanks to Andy Bitter, Dwight Vick, Jen, and Mike Ashley. Tomorrow, the finally Friday edition. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. Take care. Center for. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley.